and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. How's everyone doing? We've survived a whole month of 2021 in lockdown. Perhaps you were doing dry January as well and you're celebrating by having a nice glass of wine now that it's February. I have to say that we have not been doing dry January in my household. So you have my particular congratulations if you have done it, if you've made it all the way to the end. And I hope you are enjoying your drink this week, whether it's wine, gin or a cheeky beer. Our guest this week on the podcast is Lisa Sargent, owner and rider at the Connemara Linsfort Ear to the Ground, a former winner of the SEIB Search for a Star final. She talks about her experiences at that final. We were in the lineup when they announced it all and they did it in reverse order. And Oh, it, it was incredible. Just blown away, really. When they called his name forward, yeah, that was bonkers. I'll also be catching up with our news team. We'll be talking about rider responsibility and eventing safety, why the public shouldn't feed horses, and how horse owners and riders can contribute to a greener world. Finally, Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems, will give some advice on a maddening horse problem that most of us have come across at one time or another. Now this problem is one of the most frustrating problems that you can come across particularly when you've put all the training in and you now want to take your horse out and enjoy a ride. More from Jason later. So it's time to get started. Pull on your hat and let's get going. Hello and welcome to this week's Horse and Hound guest interview. Um, I'm Alex Robinson, showing editor here at Horse and Hounds, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by uh, amateur equestrian Lisa Sargent. Uh, so Lisa works as an actuarial technician and she's got two children uh, and she hit the headlines um, in October 2019 when she won at Horse of the Year show with her home-produced Connemara, Lynn's Fort Ear to the Ground, um, who's known as Leo at Home. And yeah, Lisa and Leo won this um, overall SEIB Search for a Star Championship on their debut at Hoys. Um, yeah, which is a dream for, for any rider, let alone someone who was quite new to the sport of showings. So hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm fine. Thank you. Good. Um, and I know for myself and, and yeah, have my own pony that's been pretty frustrating recently with a lack of events in the calendar and I know there's I'm struggling myself for a bit of motivation to kind of get my own pony training and ready for shows how, how are you finding it all how's lockdown going for you yeah it's been tough hasn't it last year um I think uh having my daughter uh we got her a new pony last summer um so we got out as soon as the restrictions were lifted lots of new places with with him and, and leo um on farm rides and and lots of things like that so we had quite a lot of fun over the summer kept us kept us sane having the ponies to to sort out um we back out show jumping training and uh doing these cross-country clinics that is leo's favorite thing so Aww. and then over the winter just um obviously not able to go anywhere now but um yeah just trying to keep ticking over new pole exercises you know each week and just trying to keep them both fresh because they're, they're both uh the ponies that would get quite bored quite easily just lots of hacking and yeah so I, i've got my eye fixed on the uh summerford british event in in may I'm oh wow that goes ahead so that's my focus so 
yeah, aiming for that. Um, Lots to work towards then. Yeah. Um, so Lisa, I know you, um, when we chatted for the In The Spotlight feature, which Leo is featuring in this week, uh, you mentioned that you used to have a dressage horse and uh, formerly competed between the whiteboards. Um, yeah, so can you just tell me a little bit about your riding background and is Leo your first kind of show pony? Yeah, so um, I got my first pony when I was 12 and um, was quickly put off jumping by him um so that's kind of why i headed down the dressage route really and used to really enjoy uh training them um just you know teaching them all the the tricks and things so when i was 19 18 uh, i went off to work with peter store um the international dressage judge and uh, rode some of his horses for him and i was very lucky to to work as a green for him learned an awful lot and i also won the british dressage talent spotting oh, finals wow. in april that year which was um, very exciting um <laughs> and then i got a bit homesick and came home um and just competed my own at home as normal so yeah so that's why i've, I've mainly been down the dressage route I've, i have dabbled in showing a little bit um we had a, a yard day out to i think it was called the british elite in, um, it's like a home produced championship at Birchley Manor yeah, yeah. in like 2001, 2002, I think it was. And I'd, I'd said to my dad, who used to drive the lorry, that, you know, oh, yeah, we'll be home by lunchtime. And then <laughs> we won our class and went on to the evening performance. And we, we won the home produced championship for the show Hunters. Oh, brilliant. Um, so that was, yeah, so we came home with a nice sash and what have you. And then, um, Another time that I'd done a bit of showing was um, the Chaps Championship show in 2006. Uh, I had a, a, my horse at the time was is a lovely four-year-old and it was judged to ride, which he'd never had a, a judge on him before. And um, he, he went beautifully. And again, we ended up in evening performance and we came um, <laughs> a, a very good third. So um, Brilliant. that was a surprise. So yeah, so when I lost my big dressage horse in 2016 um i decided I, you know i'd kind of lost my spark for competing a little bit really didn't really know what i wanted to do but i, I knew i wanted to carry on riding so yeah we we looked for um i had a, a friend's pony on loan for a short time started to do a little bit of jumping and then decided that i'd quite like you know to get a a, a, a connemara preferably to do a a bit have a bit of fun with really and and it eventually be for my daughter but then when we got leo and I, he really gave me my kind of spark back and uh so it's gone from there really so i never did hand the reins over to my daughter <laughs> <laughs> not yet and um so leo where did he come from and what's kind of his backstory okay so um so he was bought um, by performance Connemara ponies in Ireland uh, as a foal and they were led to believe that he was by a stallion called Silver Shadow which is a very good jumping pony I believe um, but when it came to be to have his DNA done um, he, he wasn't by a Silver Shadow so fortunately for me he was put up for sale when he was um, four and bought by uh, a lovely lady who I bought him off um, from near Sheffield and she um, just he came over from Ireland pretty wild they like untouched really 
uh, look very different to what he does now, that's for sure. And uh, <laughs> she just brought him on really slowly. Um, she used to buy ponies and break them, and but there was never a rush, you know. It, she she did it really well, took her time, um, and gave him a really good start in life. Because um, I think apart from my first pony, he's the only other one that I've had that's not been broken yeah so it, it was quite scary buying one that was already broken but um I decided I was getting a bit too old for breaking them in <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I knew as soon as I sat on him that he was the, the one that I, I really wanted so oh lovely so yeah at Hoy's you were crowned um SEIB search for a star champion and, and this is a series <laughs> for um home producers and it's kind of pitted as a way for for yeah riders um t- to enter the show scene and it's obviously a great way to get into showing when, when did you decide to give it a shot yeah so my, my mother-in-law had seen it at Hoy's she'd seen the series at Hoy's and said oh you know this would be amazing to get Leo kind of down that route because I, I knew I wanted to do some working hunter with him and like I say eventually for, for my daughter Hannah to to do that with him as well and um, I thought oh you know the, there's a qualifier not far from us which with there only being I think five around the country that we were pretty lucky to have that quite close to us and um, I thought oh it'd be great to get him in front of some you know top judges and and see you know what they think so kind of my mother-in-law that <laughs> pushed me to do it because I was thinking oh there's, there's no point like it's just silly and um so I really enjoyed the day um I think we had to because he, he lives out pretty much all year round so they dragged him out of the field about five o'clock in the morning um and off we off we went to Osbaldeston and I just I just thoroughly enjoyed it because I didn't feel any pressure so I didn't think we were going to do very well really um and yeah he he went super he had to jump two jumps for his class the working pony class and he cleared those very nicely and did a lovely show um trotted up in hand well enough but you know obviously there were some lovely ponies there and we were in the lineup when they announced it all and they did it in reverse order and I thought I think they went down from 10th or 6th place and I thought oh if we're not 6th 5th or 4th then we won't have come anywhere you know but he had gone well and I did think maybe he did deserve to be placed but so the the one of the girls next to me either side of me in the lineup I'd got chatting to them one came 5th and one came 2nd and I was so thrilled for them and I was like oh God, that's amazing and we sat there clapping in the lineup and then they announced my number and it was, it was just <laughs> unbelievable. So I could hear my mum was there, my mother-in-law, and I could hear them shrieking in the audience because um, quite a, a lot of people watching actually. And um, so, yeah, so, and then, yeah, it all went a bit crazy from there really. So um, it, was a, it was a long wait till October. It, it yeah, felt... <laughs> um, I, I was going to ask, um, so yeah, I mean, a few months running up to Hoy's, it's obviously crazy preparation um, for that for that big show. Did yeah. you do anything special to, to get Leo ready for that show? Um, just keeping him, um, you know, interested and, and doing lots of different things with him. Like I say, we went to the workshop that um, they, they ran before 
Hoys that was down. Is this SEI uh, the search for a star? Yeah, Did they run yeah, this? yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was great. Um, got lots of advice from there. Um, and the the thing about Leo is he's, he's quite claustrophobic. So oh, right, he he's not great indoors. So. He loves his outdoor shows, the fields, you know, the, the big rings, the big, the big <laughs> shows. Um, so, obviously, being at the NEC, it's like a postage stamp, isn't it? That, <laughs> like the, the collecting ring there. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be up his street at all. Um, so, Jordan Cook was um, one of the guys there helping us at the workshop and he just said look you know just just get out between now and Hoyers just get out to as many indoors you know lots of unaffiliated show jumping things like that just get him out as much as you can between now and then and um the Hoyers final I mean Hoyers is such a big show probably the biggest in the calendar for show riders I mean showing in at the NEC in Birmingham is just so different to kind of the county shows we're used to during the season. How did you find the whole experience and how did Leo kind of cope with the atmosphere once he was there? Well, again, you know, um, I decided that I was just going to really enjoy the experience. Um, again, just to get there was incredible. So obviously no pressure or, you know, no expectation to do well. Um, my daughter came with us, the whole family came down on the actual day of the show, uh, of my, my original class. So it was pretty daunting to say the least. I, I sat in and watched the, the, like the SEIB Search for Star Cobb class, which was the day before mine. And I think my chin was on the floor, just <laughs> the, 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 the lights um, in that arena were incredible. The, the the noise, the the amount of people that were watching, it was nearly full. Um, having the the judges commentate over you while you're riding, yeah, just the whole thing was really scary. So um, <laughs> when we went in to warm up, you know, to to work in that evening, I think it was about half past nine my time. So obviously Leo was like, "What? You know, what's going on?" Um, and we went in, and I thought everyone would have a walk round, and we. <laughs> We went in and everyone just set off and I was like, whoa, this is mad. There was like about 30 horses in there. I was like, okay, let's just go with it. So I think um, he'd been really scared of like the boards around the outside of the arena in the working in area. And I was like, oh, this isn't a good start, is it? Like there's surrounded by those in the arena. Anyway, I think he was just so scared that he just literally just put his head down and got on with it. Oh, bless And him. I just rode him really forward and just didn't give him time to look at a thing so um he he coped with it surprisingly well really um and on the day again um in the morning we we are working in area was the the main like the main arena and I was like well this isn't great is it like could do with being back in the top spec arena again like but I was like oh well I get to ride in the main arena at Hoy's this is pretty <laughs> incredible you know and um so really enjoyed that and I didn't do an awful lot with him just kind of stretched him off and so then it came to the actual class and I'd met up with um, the, the two guys that I'd mentioned that were fifth and second at my qualifier they'd also qualified at later qualifiers so we were kind of all back together again and oh, we were lovely chatting and yeah and um they were playing the reach for the stars theme tune for 
uh, search for stuff. So we were having a little sing along to that and it was a really nice atmosphere and everyone was really just excited and just really en- trying to enjoy it and take it all in. And um, we went in and was like, whoa, you know, this is this is scary. <laughs> he came out to do his show and again, he just went so beautifully and we got over the second fence. I was like, oh, phew, you know, trotted him up and I hadn't heard the nice things they'd been saying about him um, because I think I'd just blocked out everybody else. Um, so I hadn't realised that they'd already made quite a lot of, you know, comments about how much they they liked him. Um, so I didn't feel that kind of pressure really doing my show. I just enjoyed it. And then they did the results in reverse order and very quickly went down from fifth to first. Or And, and again, me and the girl that had come second in my qualifier were the top two and I was like, oh my God, it's me or you, you know. <laughs> and then they called us forward and I was like, wow. So we were stood at the front of the arena, you know, with the, the soldiers, the guards dressed up either side of us and, yeah, people coming at us with massive sashes and rosettes and Leo was like, oh, if you think you're putting that on me. <laughs> you know? So the, the the guys were great and, and kind of fed him mints while they did it and... um yeah so it was all very successful so oh lovely so and then yeah and then I realized that uh, I was going to have to spend another night in the trailer because the the championship was the day after oh wow yeah and and little did you know that that earlier that morning before your class that you would be in that main arena the next day so it was like it was it was meant to be really yeah yeah and how was that championship then because yeah, that is just the dream, isn't it, for so many riders to, to ride oh, in that yeah. Hoys Main Arena and in your kind of blue jacket and your, and your stock. Yeah, and yeah. So, so how, how was that? That How was that centerline moment? Oh, it, it was incredible. Um, yeah, just just blown away, really. I, I, again, enjoyed the experience in there because, you know, what had I got to lose, you know, just go out there and enjoy it. Leo just thought it was great I don't know he just (laughs) had a moment of brilliance where he was just literally floating across the arena and uh, he seemed to really enjoy it as well and um, and the last time I was there I I think I was watching Disney on ice you know so to to actually be in that (laughs) center of the arena Um, and and then when they when they called his name forward yeah that was that was bonkers and um Again, lovely to have the whole family there and, yeah. and friends in the audience and stuff. So, yeah, just just dream come true stuff. I just wish I'd, I wish I could go back and do my centre line again because, <laughs> the, like the guy said to me, you know, wave as you come up the centre line, and I was like, what? You know, people are going to think who does she think she is? You know, but they actually tell you to do that, and I just did this really pathetic wave, you know. And, and now, <laughs> if if I could go and do it again, I, I'd like really give it all. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's just good for a picture, isn't it? Those waving pictures really yeah, do look yeah. uh, something else. And kind of looking ahead um, with, with yourself and Leo and, and your daughter's ponies, what are kind of the plans for the future? You've mentioned um, you've got some kind of aspirations to do some eventing. Will you continue with kind of your working hunter journey as well? Oh, definitely, yeah. So like I say, I'd like to mix it up a little bit with, with Leo and um, kind of keep him guessing. Um, my daughter, uh, she's like I say, we got her a new pony last year. That's a thirteen-hand M&M working hunt pony. So the the plan is to you know be able to go to the shows together and um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to do all the the bigger county shows last year, but obviously never got to do those. So um, 
hoping to do that. Yeah, I keep training him, like even with the dressage in the back of my mind, he can do, you know, a decent half pass. And, oh, and, wow. You know, yeah, I, I, he's so lovely to train. He's, um, he even when you think, oh, I don't really fancy riding today, as soon as you get on him, he just makes you smile and uh, <laughs> he tries his little heart out and he, he learns so fast. So I really enjoy training him and he, he feels like a, a little a little dressage horse so um <laughs> yeah he's lovely um he's he's really lovely to have and so easy to do so yeah just uh just want to keep enjoying him really and and keep going while we can so great and and just before you go lisa um being an amateur and there's so many um amateur show riders out there i, I classify myself as an amateur too how, how do you kind of juggle um you know the the trials of work and family and and general life um with showing and what kind of tips do you would you give out to to any aspiring show riders out there oh wow um it's it's just a yeah just a good balance really like i say we're lucky enough that they they live out um, pretty much year round so the pressure of having to do something with them every day is, yeah is isn't there really so um they they both ponies survive on like four days work a week which which helps um and just just set yourself goals um i you know we were talking about motivation i think if you've you've no kind of goal in sight it's very hard to have anything to to set your sights on so yeah having that goal in place of what you're aiming for i think that really helps and kind of i kind of try and work backwards from from those with plans of what to do and i just like I say just mix it up for the ponies so that they're not doing the same thing all the time just lots of variation really and yeah lots of support <laughs> amazing well, well thanks so much for joining us today lisa this has been great and and yeah hopefully we'll see you out with the lovely leo soon oh thank you I'm joined by all three members of Horse and Hounds news team today to talk about what's going on in, in the equestrian world. So we have our news editor, Eleanor Jones. How are you, Eleanor? Morning. All good, thank you. Uh, except I hit the deck yesterday morning, which what? is never a good thing. <laughs> Tell us what uh, happened. Well, um, obviously, because it's lockdown, I'm trying uh, not to take any risks and not jumping huge fences or anything like that. And thought, oh, well, a nice quiet walk around the field would be a good idea. But my very brave horse obviously saw the dragons in the field and did some massively evasive manoeuvres to save us both. And, yeah, just spun 180 and decked me on the field and galloped off. So she tried to save you by actually throwing you on the floor. That's yeah. not the ideal situation. <laughs> okay. If we were in the office, I would say you'd have to bake a cake as some kind yeah. of penance. But if you bake the cake, I won't be able to eat it. So that's a shame. I'm quite happy to just bake one and eat it. Maybe you can just bake it and like parade it around at our like virtual team <laughs> meeting to make us all jealous. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I did make some biscuits on the weekend, actually, just not really because I wanted to eat them, just out of pure boredom. But um, <laughs> yeah, we now have a lot of biscuits in my house, but that's okay. Lucy Elder is also with us, our senior news writer. How are things with you, Lucy? Uh, all good here. Thank you, Pippa. I've um, I've also got quite a February horse on my hands at the moment while trying to do everything I can to to, to to stay safe and be sensible. It's almost, I could just almost pinpoint it to the day I see the first snowdrop come out. I just know that she's going to be in a similar 
spring-like mood and she's she's not disappointed but so far so good I've got a couple of neck straps on and um and we're being very sensible I think all the animals are playing up a bit at the moment we have these like weekly updates well weekly daily updates from my parents on whatsapp because their cats keep catching mice and bringing them into the house (laughs) and letting them go when they're still alive so basically my mum has taken to sitting by the back door for what she calls the mousing hour in the (laughs) evening and um, she only she sits by the door and she locks the pussy flap and she only lets the cats in once they've proved they are mouse free during the (laughs) mousing hour but unfortunately yesterday the mousing hour was extended and she had just released the pussy flap and one came in and let a live mouse go so there was a lot of family drama on whatsapp but i think all the animals are feeling 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 the joys of spring even though it keeps raining the third member of our news team who's with us today is becky murray our news writer and how are the animals up in scotland becky are they feeling spring-like Oh yes, and it was minus six degrees this morning turning my girls out, so my school has been frozen since before Christmas, I think. So everyone's very much in need of some work, Um, but yes, I have noticed the mornings next getting a bit lighter, so every cloud, but I just need everything to not be frozen. Oh yeah, it's been frozen since before Christmas, that's a month, that's that's grim, I'm never moving to Scotland. You have my admiration. Well done. Right. So moving on to the serious news, Lucy, we are giving you a rest from Brexit this week because we're so kind. And (laughs) instead, you've been tuning into the FEI Eventing Risk Management Seminar, which was held online this year. And there was a presentation during that from the data analytics company Ecuratings. What are those boys from Ecuratings up to now? So the latest from Ecuratings is this horse form index, which is kind of like a development of the work that we know that they've been doing for for many years now actually uh, in terms of using numbers and statistics to try and crunch down uh, what people's risks are and so this is kind of a refined version of that and the whole subject of the seminar really was all about how the sport can help people and self-reflection so that people can learn how to take more responsibility for themselves because it's all very well saying you know you need to take more responsibility riders have to be responsible for their own choices but what can the sport do what can data do what can science do and what can everyone do to help riders with that self-analysis and so this is kind of boiling down each person's each combination's individual risk into an understandable number and helping people to see where they stand compared to others uh, that have had similar performances if they're entering that event and they're working really hard on on the communication of that and to make that simpler and easier for people to understand so essentially what it's doing is is it's telling people that you've had these results someone else with similar results to you has this percentage chance of going clear if you enter this event or this percentage chance of not doing very well if you enter this event so lucy they're not saying that they'll be able to definitely tell you you're going to go clear if you go to a certain event but what they are saying is that for example they might be able to say to you you have an 80 percent chance of going clear or you have a 20 percent chance of going clear and then riders can sort of look at that and go oh gosh if it's only 20 percent, maybe i really shouldn't be going is that sort of how it might work yeah that's exactly it it's about helping people see you know you might have got all your qualifi- qualification runs you might have got your mers but did it take you 10 events to get those or did it take you two events to get those and if you've got a 20 percent chance of for example of going clear do you really want to be entering that event is that really a good idea should it not be a better idea perhaps to to have a look at 
why you've only got that 20% chance and maybe look at potentially getting your number a little, your percentage a bit higher if you're wanting to go and enter that event. So again, it's taking it down to the data, helping riders to see that. And then that very much then puts on their shoulders, right, you can see your risk and then you're making an informed decision about it, if that makes sense. Mm, definitely. And I think there's quite a strong link between this and another presentation that you also follow up on this week's magazine. And that one was by Chris Bartle, William Foxpit and the US rider John Holling. What sort of thing were those three discussing? Yes, you're right. Very similar theme. Again, all about helping people with self-reflection. And this was more about the role of coaching and education. And I thought this was a, this was a fantastic segment, actually. It was really really went into how important it is for coaches to tell riders what they might not want to hear and what they might genuinely not be seeing. We all know when you've got your adrenaline up and running and when you're hearing from, you've got not pressure, but you've got owners supporting you, you've got other people supporting you, you've got a support team around you, which is great and that's fantastic. But part of that has to be the bigger picture of, you know, coach actually telling you, uh, helping you to self-reflect on perhaps what went wrong on those days or what didn't go so well, or perhaps you're not ready for this. And it's, I think the message was that the sport as a whole has to be braver about doing that and not, it's quite easy to sort of think, oh, well, that was bad and forgotten tomorrow. Whereas perhaps it's, you know, burying your head in the sand isn't isn't in the interests of, of anyone, whether that's you, whether that's the horse or whether that's the picture of the sport as a whole. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm, and I do know myself how easy it is to sort of be on a track with a horse and and and, and keep keep moving forwards, even if it's not the right thing to do. You know, it's a long time ago since I rode at, um, at anything above grassroots level, but I think sometimes you said how to plan for the season and you keep plowing forward with it, even if it's not the right thing to do and you need to go to plan B, C, D and you, you need someone sometimes mm-hmm. to, to point that out to you. And another really interesting thing that was mentioned, I think, in that session was that one of the most honest sort of peer to peer feedback places is in the rider tent at big events mm-hmm. where the CCTV and riders are watching someone ride around and it's sort of instantaneous, spontaneous, in the moment feedback. The rider yeah. obviously wouldn't hear it because they're on course, but there was a suggestion I think that maybe events should place a ground jury member there so that they can hear what riders are saying and maybe that would help ground juries get better at spotting maybe I don't know whether that's the thing about education ground juries and them getting better at spotting riding that riders are concerned about or more about giving the ground jury sort of the confidence and information to speak to riders I think it's all of that really and I think I think you're right as well and I'm we know from standing in mix zones that you do you do get that instant instant feedback and it's it's really interesting and that did come into it as well is rider peer-to-peer feedback is is something that could be used more as well so I think I think it'll be interesting to see where it goes yeah and I think Lucy as you say the the mix zone thing you know we're quite used to to watching at events with other journalists all sort of crammed around a telly in a mix zone or a press office or whatever and you know you you do comment on the riding and Mm -hmm. none of us claim to be to be brilliant riders but but we do watch (laughs) we do watch quite a lot of competition and um and and you do get that real spontaneous feedback and it'll be really interesting to see if that idea takes off and diving back into the equirating side of this I thought it was really interesting the way they looked at the change in risk statistics for horses which have maybe had a period away from the sport for whatever reason what um, what were they saying about those stats Lucy yeah they've looked at lots of things this year and athlete categorizations horse categorizations 
one of the things the areas they looked at was the sort of validity period of MERs. And they found that there's little difference between the risk statistics of those who've had an FEI MER within sort of 90 days and 18 months. But once you get after that 18 month period, then the risk increases again. So I think that is quite interesting in terms of um, horses that have had time off and coming back to the sport and yeah, I never thought data and science and maths could be so interesting, but they, they managed to make it so relevant. So it was, there was a, a lot to take in, but I thought that was one the, another really interesting point that they made. Mm, it's really interesting. I, I was hearing um, that statistics program on Radio 4 the other day, more or less. I feel like maybe Equirating should have a version of, uh, of of more or less where they tell us whether stats are, are true or false. But definitely interesting stuff. Thank you, Lucy. And um, as always, we'll be keeping an eye on developments in eventing safety as they happen. Becky, we're coming over to you next. You've been working on a completely different story, quite a wide-ranging one, about horse owners' role in preserving the environment and how we can be greener. And among the people you spoke to was the World Horse Welfare Chief Executive, Rowley Owers. What did Rowley say about this? Well, Rowley said the equestrian community really should do what it can to support sustainability. And as horse owners, there's plenty we can be doing. He mentioned the fact that many horse owners have one or two equines and I suppose it's about giving that consideration to how we manage our horses and making positive choices that are more eco-friendly. Okay that's interesting and what were some of the other areas that your story covered with some of your other interviewees? Well I spoke to a vet who also sort of touched on the topic of making positive choices and that can be considering whether you really need a new rug that winter or whether you can sort of reuse and recycle things and even sourcing locally produced feed free from pesticides. It's I guess these small choices that can and do make a difference over time. Um, I also spoke to a lady who um, runs Pop Equine which is a company selling sustainable and organic products um, for horses sort of shampoos and things and that company actually offers a discount for returning scrap paper which is then used in packaging and it also donates a percentage of profits to a charity that focuses on tropical reforestation so it's all these sort of you know it is getting more and more spoken about in the equine community but as horse owners you know you can do these sort of bits here and there to make a difference. Great. Well, it's good to hear that and and all interesting stuff. Thank you, Becky. And finally, Eleanor, I wanted to ask you about a story that's been brewing over a few weeks now at Horse and Hound. It's about members of the public feeding horses and it seems to be a worsening problem, doesn't it? Yeah, it's one of those, um, there have been, you know, cases of this, there always have been cases of this, but just last lockdown and this one, as I'm sure a lot of people will know, there just seems to have been so many more people in the countryside and so many people not doing what they should do, whether that's going off footpaths, having picnics in random fields, and sadly, feeding other people's horses when they shouldn't be. And you've reported on a couple of cases for our website before this sort of magazine story. Is there one in particular that stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, they're all they're all horrible and they're all heartbreaking. But the most recent one was a 12 year old um, Welsh pony called Lightning, who the owner had bred him. She'd had him all his life. She had all his family, his, his dam and, you know, siblings and some people standing within meters of signs saying please don't feed the horses gave him a raw potato it got stuck in his throat and he suffocated a couple of minutes later and it's just so sad and so unnecessary 
gosh, that's awful. And we really need to sort of get it over to members of the public that um, this isn't like going to feed the ducks. I'm not a duck expert. I don't know whether actually going to feed the ducks is not recommended. Sorry, everyone, don't just go out and feed the ducks. Have a look online first. But, um, you know, you can't just go around feeding other people's animals, I think, is the message here. And I feel like on the podcast here, we're going to be preaching to the converted, which is something we've talked about quite a lot in our news meetings. And we've been talking about how to, to cover this story, isn't it, Eleanor? Because, you know, our listeners and readers know that you shouldn't just go around feeding other people's horses. But there are some groups sort of really taking action now, aren't there, Eleanor, to try and get this message out to the wider, non non-equestrian public what are some of those groups doing to try and spread that word yeah so the the, the organizations like the british horse society and the countryside alliance are, are putting out campaigns and really trying to ed, uh, reach and educate the general public there's also um, a facebook group has been started up by riders who are just saying you know enough now and and it's been brilliant actually in the first week or so it's called stop feeding our horses if anyone wants to join but over the first week or so it's got you know it had 5,000 or 6,000 members at last count and it's all sort of brainstorming and sharing ideas what can we do people are getting the stories in their local papers local radio stations contacting their MPs and, and it really seems like there is a, a, a swell of people trying to get the message across which is brilliant. Oh, that's interesting. You mentioned local press there, Eleanor. I just yesterday was reading a feature that we've got coming up in Horse and Hound in a couple of weeks' time about um, about, about uh, how to work with the media as a rider. It's part of a series we're running on how to market yourself. And there was a bit of a message in that uh, how to work with the media about about local press and um, and building a good relationship with your with your local press. So interesting to hear you say that. And it's something that riders at, at all levels can can do to sort of build public awareness for this sort of thing as as well as you know maybe top competition riders sort of getting their stories of success in local press so definitely I, and I think it's so important because I shared the, the story about lightning I shared on a few local groups just to say please 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 this is why you don't do it and there were a couple of people saying oh well I, I, I thought it was okay to feed carrots and I thought it was okay to feed apples and they're lovely people who would be devastated if they thought they had hurt a horse and pony so a lot of it is just education and get the word out Mm, as you say, people who actually just think it's a kind thing to go and give a horse or pony an apple, a carrot or, or, or tragically a potato. Mm. So um, if there's any way people can help to spread the word about that to uh, to, to your non-equestrian friends, please do. And let's hope we can, um, you know, head off, head off more of these tragic accidents and stop them happening before they do. Thank you, Eleanor. And thank you to Lucy and Becky for joining us today too. So now we're going over to Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems. Born in Australia, Jason is now based in Kent in southern England and his online training service at yourhorsemanship.com means owners around the world can learn and benefit from his techniques. Over to you, Jason. In this episode, we're going to talk about loading. Now, this problem is one of the most frustrating problems that you can come across, uh, particularly when you've put all the training in and you now want to take, take your horse out and show people or just enjoy a ride somewhere else. So how do we manage this problem? First thing to do is understand how it comes about. And like with all problems, it's back to basics. How are your horse's responses to move, being moved around? Can you move your horse forwards? Can you move your horse to the left and to the right and will they step back? If you have any sort of problems with any of these movements at any time, then chances are you could run into a, into a loading issue at some point. So 
I'm just going to run through an instance where I would be loading a horse and, and the processes that I go through to, to load a horse. So the first thing I do is check those things, the horse's movements. Then I'll introduce my horse to the ramp. Now, if my horse hesitates, the first thing I will give them the opportunity to do is look. Now, a horse that has a loading issue, as soon as they see the ramp, the first thing they're going to do is look to the left or look to the right and try to get out of there. All I'm going to do at this point is correct those moments where my horse looks to the left and looks to the right. I'm not interested in my horse coming forward because until I have direction or my horse thinking in the, in the direction that I want them to travel, which is towards me, up the ramp, then there's no point adding forward to your horse yet. So a lot of people, when they go to add forward or want to stop their horse from, from going to the left or right, hold on to their horse. And this is the first and probably most common cause of horses not loading. You pull your horse to try and get them onto the trailer. Now, if you pull a horse, particularly directly in front of your horse, and your horse doesn't want to step forward, it creates this, this resistance, this confrontation, if you will. You're pulling forward, your horse is pulling back. Now, there's only one way that battle is going to go. So at the, going back to the very beginning, when I ask my horse not to go to the left and not to go to the right, when they are in the middle, I am leaving my horse alone. And that is the key. I'm not pulling forward. So it's just correct to the left, correct to the right, release when they're in the middle. Now, after a while, your horse is going to stop looking to go left and right because there's an obvious answer. It feels better when I'm facing towards the ramp. There is no correction with the head collar. So your horse is starting to think, okay, so if I stay here, it's, it's good. Now I'm at a stage where I can add forward. So at this point, I will use a long, stiff dressage whip is good, or I'll cut the end, uh, the, the tail off a lunge whip. And I'll use this to just tap just behind the shoulder. Now, I, I don't want to be behind my horse or beside my horse at this stage. And that's purely for safety. If you try and get some, with, in some cases, people like to get behind the horse and use lunge lines or broom up the backside, all those sort of things. And from time to time, these things will work. And if they do work, then your horse will be fine. If they don't work, it can have that, it can make your horse more claustrophobic because a horse thinking, you're about to make me go up into this um, small space and all I know is you're hitting me on the bum. So where am I going to go when I get up there if you're hitting me on the bum when I'm up there? So the horse will do everything in its power not to go into that space for fear of being stuck. So I, I can't go away from you so I'm going to I'm going to try coming coming towards you and therefore knocking you over. So you have to be careful about where you stand. I like to stand on the ramp. That's the safest place to be because your horse doesn't want to go there. And from there, I just teach my horse not to the left, not to the right. The, the, the break is in the middle. 
then I'll start tapping and I'm looking, I'm really concentrating on my horse's legs. If my horse moves, um, my horse will probably start to move backwards. I just keep a gentle tap and I keep the same energy um, until I see a forward step. The instant I see a forward step, I stop tapping and I allow my horse to rest in the middle again. Pretty quickly, horses realize they can't go to the left, they can't go to the right, and the tapping means step forward. And your horse will start to think, okay, I've got to take on this obstacle that's in front of me, which is the, the ramp. At this point, your horse will start to investigate. Now they will probably put the nose down. If they're thinking forward, a horse will always put their nose down to investigate where they're about to put their feet. This is normal, allow it to happen. Another thing that a horse might do when they're investigating uh, an object is they could paw it or even bite it in some, some instances. And I allow this for a little bit because they are checking whether it will uh, move or whether it's safe to put their feet on. And then I just keep on with those processes. Eventually my horse will put a start to venture and put a, put a foot on the ramp. As they put a foot on, I allow them to rest with a foot on and um, allow them to realize it's actually safe, it's a good space. And then I will take them out off the ramp before adding more energy to get them to step back on. And it's really important that when they're on the ramp, they get to relax. When they're off the ramp, we add energy so that the horse is looking for that place where they can relax, which is always forward and always on the ramp. And then step by step, your horse will start to build confidence and will eventually load. Sounds simple in theory, I know, but and it's, it does take some experience. And particularly if you're not used to using uh, a whip, then this can be like patting your head and, and rubbing, um, rubbing your tummy. So it does take some practice and it's a good idea to get, get confident and comfortable with all your groundwork exercises. Uh, yourhorsemanship.com has all these sort of skills uh, bit by bit leading up to this, um, the ability to be able to load problem horses. So yeah, that sequence of events is, is how I load horses and I've been very, very successful doing it um, over the last 20 years. There are some common problems that can occur, like some people might try to use this technique and they will say to me, uh, my horse just stands there and looks at me and just does not move, I can't get it to move. That tends to mean that when I tap a horse, I do as little as possible. Sometimes it's just a wave of the whip to some horses by their sides or just holding the whip out to the side is enough to, pro to provoke a, a response. And then I wait till I see the correct response, which is a step forward and release. Other horses, I'll show them the whip, as I always say, when your training starts small and increase but I'll have no response and I'll have to start tapping. And this tapping will become, start small and fairly quick and get slower and more powerful. And there is always a point where the horse is compelled and you'll see them sort of twitch or move where the horse is thinking, I have to do something. And it's, I suppose, having the experience and confidence to know 
um, how much energy or getting to that point uh, where a horse is compelled to try something new other than standing um, stuck to the spot. And that's, that's a, a skill which takes, as I say, experience and timing to get. But um, yeah, that's, that's me loading a horse. That's how I do it. Uh, I hope that's been useful and uh, I hope it gets you out there and on your way. Thank you, Jason. Next week, Jason will be back with the final instalment of his mini-series, talking about what to do if your horse naps. Next week is also a special one on Horse and Hound, because we're handing the editor reins over to Pippa and William Funnel, who'll be guest editing the magazine. We'll also be joined by Pippa on the podcast. She needs no introduction. She's the Rolex Grand Slam winner, double European champion, Olympic medalist, and so much more. And I'm really looking forward to talking to her. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. The numbers are growing all the time, so lots of people are listening along with you. Please do rate, review and share the podcast to help us spread the word. Goodbye until next week. The Horse and Ham podcast is a Media Cage production.